Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 17th, 2011. I always start off the show for the newcomers and tell them to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com where I give them hundreds of audios for free download and hopefully, hopefully they'll get the clue that there's a bigger game going on than that which the media presents to you. And of course the media in all countries really as far as I'm concerned is just an arm of government and doesn't really matter which uh, left or right paradigm is being played. It's all the same thing, propaganda and control of the people because we're going through, as I say, uh, a transitional phase between two ages into the next uh, age as they want to call it at the top and already do in fact. So help yourself to the audios, and remember too, you're the audio, you're, you're the audio, you're the audience that bring me to you, because I don't bring on advertisers to sell you things. I try and talk through the whole hour, and it's up to you to keep me going. Remember the ads on this show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN for this airtime, and it pays for the staff and equipment and bills and all the rest of it that uh, go on in a, something of that size of organization, big cash is needed. And of course, I need cash too to keep my sites going and uh, my life uh, turning over, just ticking over basically, because eventually we won't be able to carry on like this uh, as, the laws, as the laws get created to stop free speech and to direct. Actually, what they're really doing is directing free speech and diverting us into other areas. Most people just go along without noticing that they have been diverted. It's almost like a herd thing. And I try to stay out of the herd and show you what's really going on. So buy the books and discs and so on I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And remember, all the sites listed there, my official sites, they all carry the same audios. They all have transcripts in English of a lot of the talks I've given over the years for download and print up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu. You'll see it in the com site there. And uh, there's a variety of languages to choose from. And as I say, buy the books, etc. From the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check still, and you can also use an international postal money order from your post office. Some people send cash. Other ones use PayPal. If you want to use PayPal, you'll see the donation button on the, the com site. Just use that and uh, follow it up by an, with an email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you. And it's the same across the rest of the world with the addition of Western Union because Western Union is a bit expensive, but it's a direct wire transfer. You can also use MoneyGram, which is cheaper. I think they also do direct wire, but they also give you the option of giving you a check, which you post over, and it takes about seven days to get you, but it's far, far cheaper. Some people send cash, and other ones, again, use PayPal across the rest of the world. I guess that's going to be the way of the future. It'll all be some PayPal-type organization, because... All transactions, even now, are being recorded and have been for years and years and years. 
by the powers that be. We're just going through the ride of the big transition. We are the ones who will experience the chaos as we go through it. We already have been for a long time, but there's much more to go as we trans, we basically transform from one system into another system. Most won't notice. They'll go to their deaths without really figuring out what happened and believing in the media and whatever media version is presented to them. But there are those, the few around the world, that have watched this their whole lives, and they know it's being directed by much, much brighter people uh, than the ones they present as prime ministers and presidents. The people behind these characters are far more important. They're advisors. And it's strange all the advisors in every country have always been in the same global agenda, regardless of where they reside. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Talking about the big transition that we're going through, and we have been our whole lives, in fact. It's an ongoing New World Order, different phases of it, of course. And it's surprising to some, or maybe most, in fact, that the big plans for the last century and this century were written in the centuries previous to this. It's quite amazing to find out that the future is always planned, as I say, by very bright people who often let the cat out of the bag for those who are willing to think a little bit outside the mainstream, and they can't but help boast about their involvement in the, the planning stages of the big society, as they call it now, the world agenda, the globalist agenda. When I was growing up, every town and every, every village basically had their own system to keep them going, their own gas supply, for instance, and water supply, and etc. And we saw during the 80s and 90s the beginning of privatized, big-time privatization. But they've been at it for a long time before that, because I grew up watching the left wing get in, and, and, and then they did nationalize everything. What it really meant was it was so run down by the profit makers that it was time for the taxpayer to fit the bill, or foot the bill and, and get it all up and running and repair everything. And then, of course, then would come the other government afterwards, the right wing, and then they'd privatize it again for peanuts and stiff it to the public. And that's always been the way. It's back and forth like a tennis game. And every country really has been the same way. It worked the same way. Even the countries in Latin America, I was watching some documentaries on the, the right wing and left wing regimes there. And the same thing happens there too. It's a worldwide con. The whole idea of parties is a worldwide con. And when they've really, really screwed you enough and brought you to utter misery, they always bring in the, the daddy figure who, who says all the right things and goes around cuddling everybody he meets in the lower classes. And that seems to be good enough for us. And then you get a little bit back from your tax money that you never got before, a little bit of education or something. And then you wait for the right-wing guy to come in and then, and then privatize everything once again. It's a, it's a scam after a scam after a scam. And there's no better uh, example, really, than the flagship for the whole New World Order from the very place it was born. And that's London, England. Uh, and what they're doing with the whole of the British Empire, as they called it, uh, as you privatize everything into the communitarian uh, system, 
And this is a transitory phase as well, as, as the people who are alive today eventually stop breeding or have very few children and dwindle away over the next 40, 50 years. And um, in comes the next type of system, because they believe that science will be so far advanced then, and I believe it is already, uh, they can breed the types of peasants they want to do essential work, but not too many of them. And this is where they come in with the sustainability and all of that stuff. Now, it's just so amazing to, to find that communitarianism, where, where basically the government's pretending to decentralize all the power down to the local communities. And, uh, and I said years ago, eventually you'll have to turn up when there's a local parade or town parade or something, or they'll ask why you weren't there, are you anti-social? This is all part of it. It's based on the Soviet model. But, of course, it's the same scam as you had in the Soviet model because they really did have classes in the Soviet system. Believe you me, they had very, very rich people at the top. 200 families moved in to take over the Soviet Union, and they stayed there all through it, and and they reaped a a hefty reward. And then they fled out, of course, when it was time to move in the 90s. But it's the same system all over the world, as I say. And Britain is leading the way for us all to go for the next 50 years or so as we dwindle down. It's, it's hard for people to believe that when they signed the Charter for the United Nations at the end of World War II, I think it was 46, they signed the one in San Francisco, they signed away the sovereignty uh, of the countries. Now, everybody who was up in the really upper classes then, everybody who was already multi-millionaires or billionaires, knew uh, that this present phase was, would have to come. And they already had swallowed it wholesale, quite naturally being egotistical people, uh, that they were a special breed, a class apart. And that was a worldwide class, by the way. Um, and they would have to go through the motions and lead countries down the garden path as they themselves were investing abroad and so on through the United Nations organizations of loan management, etc., and they had this vague picture of themselves uh, with many many palaces across the world for the wealthy elite to go to. And it wouldn't matter if you were Chinese or from India or from Britain. It was, it was a different breed that had made it up the genetic ladder and proven their superiority. They're, these are the ones that would come through. And they wrote a lot about this back then. Now, they also signed the, uh, in the Charter too. And, and, and the subcharters, because there's subcharters to this, that Britain and other countries would start to deindustrialize and it would speed up, they said, in about 20 years. Well, sure enough, 20 to 30 years later, Britain was heavily deindustrialized and no excuse was given to the general public as factory after factory was closed. And they didn't tell them either whether they were opening up overseas where the cheap labor was. And nothing was going to replace it except a service economy. You know, I buy pancakes from you and then I sell them for a profit to somebody else, etc., etc. You pass things around. And a service economy is only meant to last so long. And it's the same in the United States too. When the, when the, the, the treaty was signed through the World Trade Organization by all your aristocracy of America and Canada, and, it, and truly they are an aristocracy amongst themselves, intergenerational, uh, they also decided to give away all your factories and send them overseas. In fact, no one could really stay and make a profit 
when competing factories were already setting up in China. So they moved lock, stock and barrel and your tax money paid for their moving and their setup. And they signed into, the, into that agreement too, under the GATT agreement, that you would pay for the next 10 years for the setup of the factory and any losses incurred uh, against projected profits. If it fell fallen below them, then you would pay the difference, and that could be renewed for another 10 years or more. What a deal, eh? 20 years, basically, as you pretend you're making very little profit, you're rigging it in, and the taxpayer is still paying for your fudged figures. Now, Britain is going even further now, because I've watched the United Nations for years, and what they do there is they have world meetings every so often, and all the big NGOs go, and they're told where to invest their money. Most of them represent groups, trading groups and investment groups across the world, and that's how they get into these meetings, and that's why they get the invites. And again, too, they'll often say it's for women in third world countries, micro loans, micro projects, that kind of stuff. And that, again, was to separate the family. They got that to bring down the population. And if women didn't mate for life, then they wouldn't have any children. That's what they hoped for. And then, of course, the other UN-sponsored NGOs would go across the world using your tax money again from your governments to sterilize them and have abortions and so on. But micro-loans is a big, big thing. And this is part of communitarianism. So tonight, on my site at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, I'll put up a bunch of... What America is going to see soon, actually they've got some of them already, they just don't know it, most of them, and it's micro-loans to little areas that are run down and devoid of a lot of the population because the factories moved out. And But it also, if you look into these ones I give you, these sites I give you, it will show you the profits, the incredible profits these supposed public-private partnerships have. And... Uh, it's just amazing how many big organizations are out there doing this micro-loan stuff. And every shark, every big shark is in on the project. Incredible rewards. So I'll put a bunch of them up tonight. And I'll also mention this one in Britain. It's, by, it's run by Sir Ronald Cohen. Yep, Cohen, yep. And it says here, Philanthropy UK. Now, he can go back to even the days of Weishaupt who talked about using philanthropy to run the world. Charitable organizations, that would be a cover for those who would be reaping in the profits. And he really made no, pro- made no bones about the fact that the vast majority of the public were absolute idiots. He despised the public, the great Illuminatus, as they call him today, although he was just one little character of many, many above him. And Sir Ronald Cohen, Philanthropy UK, uh, was set up, it says, uh, wants to achieve a radical improvement in the UK's capacity to create wealth, economic growth and employment. However, he's not speaking of the growth potential of the venture, the venture capital industry, which he helped found 30 years ago. He's made an incredible killing. But rather, that's loan sharking, if you like to call it that, but rather of an emerging approach to social investment, community development finance. So, it says here in, two, in the 2000, the year 2000, Her Majesty's Treasury, they don't have a, a, a government, they've got Her Majesty at the top, 
invited Sir Ronald to head up the Social Investment Task Force, a new initiative with a remit to explore ways to create a system of sustainable investment in economically deprived areas in the UK. So here's the year 2000, right? They set this up for today, for communitarianism, before anybody out there, at least a very few, had heard the, the term communitarianism. Five years on, the task force recommendations are bearing fruit. Today, the community development finance sector, now listen to this, the, the, the community development finance sector is worth £400 million, right? Has financed over 9,000 businesses, the tiny little things, created 10,000 jobs, we take a word for it, and levered £160 million in addition funding, additional funding to underinvested communities. The formation of the Community Development Finance Association, of which Sir Ronald is honorary president, I guess he turns up once a year, you know, has further strengthened the capacity of this sector. So it's quite amazing. I mean, here's a company created by people up who are nobles that they're all being knighted by Her Majesty, you see. And they start with 20 million pounds. And then they were given, they were given by the taxpayer another 20 million pounds. Now they're worth 400 million pounds. That's nice for charity, isn't it? Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. This is Cutting Through the Matrix and talking about communitarianism because this is the way we have to go, you see, for the future as we don't have any factories and any real jobs to, to do and there's only so many computer programmers even needed anymore and everyone's using computers. But what you do with the computers, everybody's competing. Everybody's competing with everyone else, doing the same darn thing and getting nowhere. So this is what's called uh, this paddling phase, like a dog in a swimming pool. It can only paddle so long before it sinks. That's what a service economy is. And only the manufacturing industry is the one who creates an actual object and sells it. And, of course, that's why China is, is, is just skyrocketing with, with profits and, and multimillionaires and billionaires right now. But the old man, as I say, from the West is supposed to just go down and die off. And they really have it worked out where they want to be in 50 years' time. What kind of society will be created for that period as the old ones die off? And they have a total, total faith in science. I don't blame them because, you see, what we're given as science is obsolete on every single level at the bottom, including health. Every science at the bottom is absolutely obsolete. They're way ahead of anything you can imagine. That's why they're so confident of all this. And it's always been that way. But reading this particular article about Sir Ronald, Ronald Cohen, who made basically billions as a, a, as a lender uh, to different countries and so on, and now he's one of the big boys to do it for your community area. You see, what's going to happen in your community is that, of course, you're, you're ready supplied um, leaders, and they'll be all members of, N- they're all NGOs and members of um, uh, legitimate organizations. That means that they're giving a stamp approval by the government, like Common Purpose, for instance. You're suddenly, instantly created community leaders uh, who will run your whole life for you from cradle to grave, will get, uh, will put you down. Your whole area will be put down as basically collateral. And what's going to happen is this, you supposedly give your go-ahead for them to get loans from these sharks like Mr. Cohen here, 
uh, and eventually they'll privatize that whole area because it'll be bankrupt. You understand that you can be bought and sold in this system that's being introduced right now. That is the plan. I guarantee you that is the plan. Your whole township can be bought and sold and privately owned because you, you will never pay off these loans. You can, it cannot be done. Who are you going to compete with, whatever you do? Look around the world. Look around the world. You can't compete, and you cannot compete with compound interest. And this shark here started this one on the side, because he's got friends in government, no, no doubt relatives too. And um, he starts off this organization after really being a big money baron across the planet, a lender. And he gets twenty million pounds given to match the private sector's twenty million pounds, and then a few years later it's worth four hundred million pounds. And he's going to be the, one of the guys who lends money to your community. And of course you'll send in the guy with the black the black uh, hood probably to take your land off you or your house off you and just say sorry, you know, uh, it was bought over by Mr. Wee in China there last week because you defaulted on your community alone. That's coming your way. But as I say, these same characters were involved their whole lives in United Nations operations. Same thing, giving micro-loans. Sounds wonderful, helping the poor come out of the mud. It sounds so, so darned wonderful to the gullible out there. And there's a lot of gullible people out there who believe everything that they read. And this is his own website. For this organization, I'll put this up too, this Philanthropy UK organization, one of quite a few uh, that all have, they're all deeply more related than you'll imagine, and you might figure that out for yourself. But uh, this is the way that the world is to go in the Western world primarily, maybe Australia too and, and New Zealand, as they just steamroll ahead with uh, this between the two ages idea. And we all go down the tube. But I, I can tell you, I can see one day, they've already sold parts of England off, you know. Already, I've read the articles on the air here to big private corporations. Well, eventually, this is the way the world is to go. There'll be no nations at all. There'll just be regions, and regions can be bought and sold by private investors and entrepreneurs. You wait and see. And that means everybody in it, all their houses, yada, 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 the whole kitten caboodle. That's agreed upon by everybody at the top. And they have no option but to agree upon it. They, they, as long as they can get in a foot in the door and profit off it, everyone at the top is in, on board. They didn't come up with the idea. It's above them. And that's the way the world is really run. And you will see one day uh, different parts uh, of uh, maybe even London itself getting sold off. I mean, the city is already really privately owned. But all the rest of Greater London, you, you hear one day, yep, they just sold it off to so and so, uh, from wherever, and for so much, and, and that's the way it goes. I remember years ago when Margaret Thatcher was in, and she sold off, uh, I couldn't believe this, the island of Skye in Scotland. Now the island of Skye had people on it, you see, who lived there for generations and hundreds of years, and she sold all, all the title off to a Dutch multimillionaire. So it changed ownership, basically, from one feudal lord to the other. People really have been sold a bill of goods called history uh, through their indoctrination through schooling. And that's all it is. All, all schooling in every country is nonsense. It's utter nonsense to give you a fake view. And so that you, they can use you in wars and things. And you feel awfully proud as you get your legs blown off. But uh, that's the, the reality of the world. It's a harsh reality to come to. 
for a lot of people. A lot of people can't come to it. They must believe in the, the songs and the flag and that, but that's tough. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the Matrix. And that was my little rant about Sir Cohen. And he's only one of many. I was reading an article recently, too, where the U.S. is doing exactly the same thing, using your tax money to give to a private company, imagine it dollar for dollar, uh, so that they can uh, invest in, again, communities in the U.S. that are devastated when the factories just pull up and go. And they're talking about Detroit and and, uh, the Chicago area and so on, and other areas throughout the U.S. It's the same kind of scam deal there. And eventually the whole world will be just made up of privatized areas belonging to a few individuals. And that's really what's going to happen because you can't make up these loans. You cannot compete in a global economy making beads at the side of the road and selling beads to tourists. You know I mean, it can't be done. You understand that? And uh, it's not intended to be done. That's the bottom line. Meanwhile, J.P. Morgan reports 47% profit jump. Not bad, eh? You, you, you sink the country. You get bailed out uh, by the taxpayer, and who, to whom you don't even have to apologize uh, and say we're terribly sorry, and, uh, and or thank either when they're used to bail you out. And that money didn't just go to money heaven, remember. It went somewhere. Certainly the real goods did. And uh, here they are, 47% profit. It's not bad. They don't have to give anything back, eh? I mean, what happens when you borrow money with one of your micro-loans there to sell beads at the side of the road and you default on it, you can't make enough sales? Do they come out and bail you out and help you? No. So J.P. Morgan did not make a loss even during the depths of the financial crisis. There's a lot of them, actually, that claim that they did not at all to get the extra cash. This is profit in the last three months of 2010. came in at $4.8 billion dollars marking a rise of 47% a year earlier. Revenue increased 6% to $26.7 billion. For the full year, the bank made a record profit, a record profit of $17.4 billion, ahead of analyst forecasts of $16.7 billion. It's the first of the Wall Street banks to report. It says they're all waiting for the rest of them to come in as they fudge their books and hide this and hide that and all the rest of it. So... We live through a, a divine comedy. It truly is a divine comedy. And it is, once you get to a certain level of understanding, you, you can't let it get to you, um, at least not all the time, or you won't survive too long. But on the other hand, too, you can sit above it because nothing should ever, ever, ever surprise you. Nothing. And I mean nothing should ever surprise you. You're ready for the next phase and the next phase. Now, <laughs> The biggest people who are with cash moving in to Europe and Paris and London and so on are from China, naturally, because they're the only producers really in the world. In fact, they're the manufacturer for the whole planet. That was decided upon a long time ago through the Council on Foreign Relations and the Asia-Pacific Rim group, 
uh, that's part of the CFR for that area. And they help bring up, up uh, upon us all that's happened there, in fact. And they use our tax money to train all the engineers from the 70s onwards before they had any factories to go back home to because they knew the World Trade Organization was going to supply them from America and Britain and elsewhere across the planet, which they did. That's how the world is really run. It says here, Shanghai rollers from 33 million pound houses to 11 million pound warhols. I don't know why they'd want Andy Warhol stuff. Suddenly it's China's new millionaires who are spending eye-watering sums and buying up Britain. Talk to any upscale London-based wine merchant, he'll tell you two very important things about his rich Chinese clientele. Money's no object. Sotheby's recently reported, for instance, that a vintage bottle of 1869 Chateau Lafitte sold for more than £130,000 to a Chinese buyer. Well, so what? And that's for drinking, uh, by the way, not to lay down in a cellar. What was seen emerging in the past year, people paying virtually any price for wine, said David Ellswood, Christie's head of wine. This is not investment, that is just uncontrolled spending. And apparently they don't sip their wine either, they down the whole lot in one go. And well, that's just their way of doing it, isn't it? I guess it shows you that you can afford it and uh, in their own culture. And they're really going to town uh, as they they quaff down this um, old vino, which is a bit overpriced anyway, to be honest with you. It says, uh, no slow intended of sipping or deferentially swishing around the palate for them. Even with a £6,000 bottle of 1982 Chateau Mouton Rothschild, the Chinese tilt the glass and knock it back. Well, a, a friend recently came back from Las Vegas and he told me that that's all he saw there at the gambling tables was... Uh, were Chinese people. Uh, so it shows you that the same crooks exist in every country as they compete to get to the top. And it's a sad thing about life, you see, because it doesn't matter which group you, you, you help, there's always the ones who are a bit more psychopathic than the rest who can see the angles, know how to use a system, and use everybody else around them, and they get to the top. They're even building castles in China. I saw a magazine where they're building castles with Greek statues on the top all over the place. It looks rather silly. But uh, uh, that's money to burn, really, isn't it? And, and that's what, that was thanks to the World Trade Organization at the United Nations and, and the World Bank and the cooperation of all your prime ministers and presidents for giving them this nice uh, lifestyle. Thank you very much. Now, <laughs> some people have a, a habit of putting their foot in it. In, in their mouth, and it says, this is an article from the Mail. It says, libraries are just for the privileged white middle class, says a white middle-aged class Quango chief. It says, um, this chief has enraged campaigners fighting to stop the mass closure of public libraries by claiming they're the preserve of the privileged mainly white middle class. I don't know who this joker is because, because I think most of the middle class in Britain are not white anyway. It says, Roy Clare, Chief Executive of the Museums, Libraries and Archives Council, maybe he never comes out with his, his little museum there, suggested dozens of local protest groups were out of date, commencing public libraries will not be preserved by wishful thinking and aspic. So they're closing 400 libraries nationwide uh, shortly, and I'm surprised they've any left at all. And uh, most folk, mind you, probably don't use them now anyway. They're all on the Internet, and they think what they see on the Internet must be true. Uh, they don't realize that a lot of the stuff that's been put up there from old books has been heavily changed and heavily censored. I read an article here, it was actually from a, an, a, a, a 
one of the big players in the books, and 30 pages were missing from it. Actually, it was from the, one of the Club of Rome members. 30 pages were, were missing in the e-book version. So it doesn't matter. It's George Orwell's memory hole, and that's what we're watching. To, we're living through it. Most people will never question if stuff's being removed, and whatever they say is a gospel truth. But even in Canada, back in the 90s, early 90s onwards, uh, I used to go to the garbage dump, because uh, I lived in the country. You used to take your own stuff there. That's what you pay taxes for. And... Um, you would see thousands of books from libraries just getting dumped all the time. Incredible. As they got rid of all the old histories and, and, and that kind of stuff. Down the memory hole. Now, it's quite amazing too, to show you that the double speak and that again, the, the double think. It doesn't matter, you know, how much you read on the air about different, different arguments and different items coming from the United Nations or the World Health Organization, and you show them all the cons and tricks they play year after year with, say, the flu shot, Um, it doesn't matter because they keep at it with their massive propaganda to overcome any dissent. And it doesn't take a lot with with most folk. It doesn't take much persuasion for them to to eventually go along and get it anyway. There's a grandmother dies from a swine flu, and they call it swine flu because they added it to it, but it's basically a flu shot. After she has the jab, you see. So a grandmother of three thought she was safe from swine flu after she had the vaccine months ago. This is not the, the main part of the story for me. But it says Eleanor Carruthers, 68, from Merseyside, became the latest victim of the outbreak Saturday. It says um, she was seriously ill with emphysema and she had lung cancer but was controlled. But had the, the flu vaccine in October to protect her from the illness. Despite the steps, she was rushed to the Royal Liverpool Hospital last week and later died. Uh, H1N1 uh, was recorded as one of the main causes of her death. And uh, then they went through her daughter and so on, who said, well, she had the, the flu shot months ago, she should have been protected and so on. But then you get the robotic answer from the National Health Service, you know, the robot that comes on. So a spokesman, that's which a public relations, which is propaganda, for Liverpool PCT says, although we can't comment on individual cases, this is obviously a very sad time for the family. Expert advice from the World Health Organization, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization for the Department of Health, is that the flu vaccine is a highly effective vaccination and the best way for people in at-risk groups to protect themselves from the virus. So this is what they tell the daughter after her mum's dead after getting the shot. It comes as the latest official figures reveal the swine flu has claimed maybe 112 lives since October. Now, have they really tested for it or not? I mean, they just throw these figures around. But um, they, then they, they give out the usual stuff from the World Health Organization, about 80% chance of uh, protection and blah, 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 which is based on nothing. And I've even read the articles after every flu season that tells you just as many folk get the flu uh, with the shot as who, who get it, who didn't take the shot. And that never changes. But PR wins out in the end, doesn't it? It wins, always wins out at the end. I, I trust none of these organizations at all. And I really don't think that what they stick into you does you any good. It certainly will do you a lot of harm. And plus, by the way, they have put the thimerosal back in this, all these flu shots because the government decided that they decided it was safe after all. Uh, mercury is good for you. And um, just don't breathe the stuff in from your, 
your lovely little light bulb there, your little eco-friendly light bulb, because apparently it's highly dangerous to you. But it's okay to inject it into you. It keeps you pretty dumb and stupid, and you might be happy throughout your life, and maybe happiness is more important, as according to some of the big players who run this world system. Now, in 1998, in Canada, in Ontario here, they started spraying the skies in in a serious manner. And I remember the day when it started because I walked outside and I couldn't believe, I thought it was in some kind of movie shot, that it really was a checkerboard pattern, really tight together, like a, like a fishing net above you, a white fishing net. It was that precise. And they were at least ha- at half the height spraying it than they are today. I couldn't believe it. Folk didn't look up and see it. And from then on, it's been, of course, a roller coaster of spraying and spraying and spraying. And we all have read the different articles about, oh, they're thinking about spraying the atmosphere to stop global warming, etc. But in reality, they've been doing something with it since at least 1998 on a serious, continuous basis. And and. They were doing it for long before that, for years, testing it on and off. And I've read the articles where they test things on and off over different countries. But this is for, this is for serious. And it says, um, and of course, too, I've talked about the aluminum oxide and the barium, which has been found in it. And I've gone into the writings of Teller, who was the inventor of the H-bomb, who worked for the Pentagon and who came up with the idea of flooding the air with, with metallic particles and using what's now called HARP, HARP technology, uh, and electromagnetic pulsing uh, across the atmosphere. The very thing that, that Brzezinski talked about in Between Two Ages, where he said that the techniques of weather control manipulation would come into being. But he also touched on, too, how certain things could affect the minds of people, make them tranquil or aggressive, depending on the frequency, because this stuff literally makes the, the atmosphere itself uh, like a chemical conductor, much much more, uh, much much more agreeable to electrical variations and, and transmission. So this article here is from uh, a, a, a science scientists. Levitating nanoparticles may make for better geoengineering. So it's, it's bad enough when they're already dosing you with stuff, and it's definitely affecting people's lungs and sinuses, etc. Con- ongoing infections since nine to eight. So now they want to go into the nanoparticles, if they haven't already, you see. Now, nanoparticles of siberium and uh, aluminum oxide and, and stuff, this stuff uh, literally, apart from making you rather senile, um, is highly carcinogenic as well. But it doesn't matter. That would all tie in with the big plan, wouldn't it? Especially over areas where they want to bring down the populations. And if you don't have the right kind of chelation therapies, etc., which I'm sure the bigwigs get, um, then this stuff's going to stay in your system. A recent analysis of geoengineering options indicated that while pumping chemicals into the upper atmosphere would work, well, they know it would work because they've been doing it, the approach comes with significant risks. Since the chemicals would gradually come back out of the atmosphere, these schemes would require constant input to remain effective. That's why they do it every day. A paper released in PNAS this week suggests there might be a lower effort alternative, nanoparticles that are structured in a way that helps them control their altitude. 
even if CO2 emissions, oh, here we go, are eventually reduced. It's got nothing to do with it. We may have put enough in the atmosphere by them to ensure that some form of geoengineering may be needed to lower the global, if they lower the global temperature anymore, I'll be sitting on a, on a, on a, uh, an ice floor, I think, you know, just, just mass. It was, it was 20 below zero, uh, Fahrenheit last night here, which is, you know, a bit chilly. Aerosols in the upper atmosphere increased the air's uh, albedo, the overly, overall reflected of the planet, reducing global temperatures by reflecting more sunlight back into space. Chemical aerosols are popular geoengineering candidates, but they have their own problems. For example, sulfates in the lower stratosphere can accelerate removal of ozone, and we'd have to constantly pump more into the upper atmosphere. That's a great business for somebody. And believe you me, big chemical companies are obviously involved in this, making an awful lot of money. The main advantage of the proposed nanostructures over chemical aerosols is their ability to control their altitude. So the proposed nanostructures do this by taking advantage of what are called photophoretic forces. These forces arise from a temperature difference between the nanostructure and the surrounding atmosphere. If a cold gas particle strikes a warmer nanostructure, then the gas particle will recoil off with more energy. At least that's a PR for the salesman. That results in a force on the particle. The amount of energy transferred in this process is a property of the material and a function of the temperature and is described by something called the accommodation coefficient. Sounds very impressive, eh? By constructing nanostructures with different values, one can change the net force on the nanostructure. So, what are they going to use for it, eh? Well, goodness me, they're back to aluminum again. It says, uh, it says aluminum and barium again at titanate. The aluminum layer reflects sunlight, but is transparent to thermal infrared. The barium trinitrate uh, layer has a higher density than the aluminum layer and interacts with the atmospheric's electric field to orient the disk with the reflective side up. The difference in between aluminum and barium trinitrate also produces a net photophoretic force, levitating the disk with a force up to three times its weight, to say. Well, we're breathing all this stuff in. I'll go right into your bloodstream through the alveolar tissue in the lungs. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and we've got Tom on the line from Wisconsin. Are you there, Tom? Hi, I'm here, Alan, and I yes. uh, want to thank you for everything you do, as usual. Um, and I, I had an interesting conversation with a coworker today, and for over the past six months, I've been talking to him about this material, about the you know global power structure, about the events at the current time, and how it relates to the overall big picture of because everything is guided by the big picture. Any other interpretation doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And um, he agreed that, that there is this potential that what I'm describing actually does exist, and the horror of it does is actually true, and that it will come to pass. But what he basically told me is that he's going to, up to the very end, um, as far as I can tell now, just deny that, it, that it's going to have any impact, and that because of that denial, he doesn't have to um, actually take action against it. And uh, I just wanted to know, in the few minutes that you have now at the end of the show, if, if there, you could, what would you say to somebody who's already been warned and they're still not willing to 
uh, bend their behavior to the real reality as opposed to their own false reality. I, I, I would just leave them the way they are. Uh, it's, it's a particular phenomenon that sets in. It's the same phenomenon, by the way, that kicks in uh, under torture uh, and when people are going to be executed. Uh, you find that they, 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 their mind is grasping all over the place for self-survival. Others will jump into the New Age or something to believe in that they themselves are going to get saved. Um, that type of thing. Uh, and it's, it's a form of preserving what's left of their sanity. And that's all they have because they can't face the, the true reality. To they'd have to just, They would just melt down and they wouldn't be able to feed themselves or do anything. They would just collapse. So you, they're not ready for it. So you just leave them... Uh, with their little escape hatch, uh, however metaphysical it may be, uh, and that's all they can handle. Um, they, they can't do anything beyond it, and uh, it seems so overwhelming to them, and no way out uh, to them, and especially if they feel themselves that they're powerless, uh, that, that they, they withdraw into somehow I'll come through this and I'll be okay. Uh, I'm okay. Everybody who got shot in an execution during World War II or even in Stalin's Russia, um, executed en masse, everyone who jumped into the trench watching the people before running into the trench and getting shot, every one of them couldn't believe it was actually happening to them. So, But they obey and they run and they jump into the trench and they get shot just like the last bunch. Uh, but it's a particular human thing we have. We don't want to, to believe it to the, the bitter end. Something must save me at the last second, and, and unfortunately it doesn't happen, as millions of bodies across the world and Latin America have already shown. But this is, a, this is well understood in psychology. It's well understood in torture, and um, you, you can't hit people with the, the bad news who are not going to stand up and have their voices heard. And, and take some pride in themselves. And, and yes, take your head up if necessary and be a target. Uh, you can't help those people. They are the majority, but the world has never been changed by the majority, remember. And um, uh, you have to just let them go on their own way uh, with their own little fantasy that keeps them partially sane as they go through stuff which they can't really absorb or, or relate to, you know. It's a sad thing to say, but that's the truth. Yeah. yeah. It is very sad, actually. Very sad. Yeah. And, and mind you, one day they might get to a stage where they can handle more and come and ask you more questions, and that's okay. Don't feed them too much at once, or you can crack them. They can buckle and go under. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.